Hello and welcome to episode 62 of the Replacement Level Podcast. I'm Ross Carey. Thanks for listening. Thrilled to be joined right now by Craig Edwards. Craig is a writer at Fangraphs and the managing editor at Viva Albertos, which is SB Nation's site dedicated to the St. Louis Cardinals. Craig has also done a lot of Hall of Fame research and analysis, which is what we're going to talk about today. Craig, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Not a problem. Well, before we get into the Hall of Fame, tell me what initially attracted you to baseball in the first place. You know, I would say that, that there's not a time in my life where I, I have a memory of not liking baseball. Um, I learned to read from baseball cards. I, you know, played the neighborhood, you know, when I was five years old and little league and T-ball. And after I stopped being good at baseball, um, which happened, you know, at a fairly young age, you know, I, I just kept interest uh, in the sport and it, it never really left me. You developed a, a Hall of Fame metric yourself. It's similar to Jaws, but tell me and tell the people listening about the metric. At, at its heart, it, it tries to capture the exact same thing that, that Jaws does, which is you you sort of take a player's peak and you average it with, you know, their overall contributions and you come up, you know, with, with a metric in the middle. Um, so, you know, assuming most people are, are aware of Jaws, I'd say that the differences are, uh, the primary difference is I use Fangraphs War instead of Baseball Reference War. And the other thing I do... Um, uh, Jaws takes a player's top seven years, um, and what I do is in, instead I take every year that, that a player has, and, and then I assign a point value to to that year. You know, if, for example, if you have between six and eight, six and seven WAR, that's worth six points, and then on up, um, it, it sort of awards a little bit of a bonus um, for having truly great seasons. I, for me, as far as the Hall of Fame goes, being truly great is, is something that, that's really important. And so, you know, if you have an eight-war season, that's going to give you 10 points. And then in the end, you just average that with uh, the, the player's overall war. But uh, another thing that I wanted to make sure to, to sort of capture um, in my system is, you know, say you had a, a five-war season, but it was your eighth-best season. You know, I, I think that that's something that's still sort of worth capturing uh, as part of the peak because a, a five-war season is still really good. So in, in my system, you, you still get points for that five-war season instead of sort of having it, having it lopped off after the seventh year. And overall, how different are the results between your metric and JAWS? They're fairly similar. Um, you know, you're going to have uh, your bigger differences on, you know, players like, you know, the, the unquestioned Hall of Famers, you know, like Bonds and, and Mays, uh, because you know they had all of those really great seasons. Their their numbers are going to be a little bit higher, or actually, you know, in those guys' cases, a lot higher. Um, since you're basing more on FIP, the pitchers are, are going to be a little bit different, uh, depending on if if over the course of, of a career the, the the pitcher's FIP was was a little bit different than than their ERA. Um, but, but for the most part, they, um, you know, they're fairly close. It's just a, a slightly different way of looking at it. I would say that, you know, the, the guys that maybe had a little bit shorter careers, but, uh, were really great for a shorter amount of time are going to do a little bit better, um, in my system than in Jaws necessarily. And the guys who are very good for, for a long time are going to do a little bit better as well. 
you know, about five years ago, I created a Hall of Fame metric that took the career war from the three major sites in baseball reference, in fan graphs, in baseball prospectus, and averaged them out. That was one component. And the second component, which I used for a peak, was best five years in a row plus your three best additional years. And I did that for all three sites, and I averaged them together, and the two averages together were the, were the hall rating number. And it worked pretty well, but I stopped updating it, one, because it was a huge time-consuming thing to do all this manually, but second, because the more research I did about wins above replacements and the Hall of Fame, which we'll get to in a little bit, but the more research I did about wins above replacement is that I'm not convinced all three sites and all three versions should be treated equally. Uh, especially when looking back at a career, which is obviously what you're doing with Hall of Fame analysis. You're obviously, you write for fan graphs, but you're obviously a baseball writer. You visit Baseball Reference every day, I'm sure, as well, and you know Baseball Prospectus as well. Do you think all three models should be treated equally at this point? You know, I, I think that all the models have, have their pluses and minuses, and I think the the good part about, you know, being a baseball fan and being able to educate yourself in this way is that you are able to to go out and, and choose the things that that are most important to you. You know, if if you think that ERA is the best, then you know, then by all means, use use Baseball Reference War. If if you're a little skeptical, and you know, as far as you know, the defense and you know that sort of thing, and you'd rather have your pitcher value be based on FIP, then you know, then Fangraphs War is for you. And if you know, I mean, if you want something that's uh, you know, perhaps a little more complicated and a little bit more difficult to understand. But, you know, people who have, you know, put a ton of time into making, you know, the best metric possible using all sorts of different models, then, then you know, you're going to go to baseball per- prospectus and, and see what they have. And I, I don't know that, you know, anyone is, is necessarily better overall, but I would say, I choose to, you know, have a fit-based war because I I believe that it's more reliable. And, you know, that's something that was true for me even before I, you know, started writing for fan graphs. And it's something that I thought it probably helped me to seek out fan graphs as far as uh, eventually wanting to write there because I did, you know, prefer their their version of war. And, and the, they've gotten a little bit more similar. You know, the, the replacement level is... Is is uniform uh, more now, uh, at least between Baseball Reference and, and Fangraphs, and I think that helps out a lot. But I don't know that you can say that oh, this is you know the number one and this is number two, or, or ranking them. And you know, you've got UZR and, and DRS, and <clears throat> we're still learning a lot more about how defensive metrics work, and you know exactly how long a time period it's it's helpful to use that. And at the same time, before two thousand two everybody was using total zone and that's you know an, an inferior method of of looking at, at defensive metrics compared to what we're able to do now well that's absolutely true and the defense is a big component and it's one of the big differences still with active players but i think it's very hard with retroactive players in particular when you see big swings on defensive value i think that becomes more of a judgment call regardless of which metrics you're using there yeah and you know you you look and you sort the leaderboards and you see ozzy smith Smith at the very top and you're like oh well you know total zone obviously you know gets gets a lot of it right but uh compared to what we have now and you know just the the data that we're able to put in um I think we can be a little bit more precise than than we could back then 
Well, let's switch focus to the Hall of Fame itself, specifically the results that happened this year. It will be a class of five total with the two Veterans Committee inductees. Joining them from the BBWAA side, from the player side, are Jeff Bagwell, Tim Raines, and Ivan Rodriguez. What were your thoughts on the results themselves this year? Well, I I think that, you know, for those three guys, you have to be happy for them and happy for the Hall of Fame. I mean, all all three are are more than deserving. Um, You know, you... You feel for Reigns a bit because it was, you know, it, this was his last shot, and um, you know, if he wasn't going to get in, then he was going to have to go to the Eras Committee, and they haven't let anybody in in a really long time, and so he was deserving. Jeff Bagwell, you know, it took him a, you know, quite a few years to to get up there to to above the seventy five percent, and then Evan Rodriguez is, is one of the greatest catchers of all time. So as far as you know, looking at, at the three candidates, um, it's fantastic news that they're all deserving. But, um, you know, there's still a lot more deserving candidates that, that failed to reach the 75% this year. Who, using your Fangraphs Hall of Fame metric, cleared the standard this year? There's actually uh, another eight guys. If you're looking at, you know, a median Hall of Famer um, at the position. And it's, it's, it's tough how you want to look at that because the veterans committee you know before the last 15 years uh had had a much looser standing so what whether or not you want to look at um the average hall of famer which includes some of the you know lesser guys that were inducted by the veterans you know in the 50s 60s 70s uh or you want to hold everyone to the extremely high standard that that the baseball writers have set out um, it, it's, it's a tough distinction to make it. I think it helps understand who is more realistically going to get into the hall. Um, but as far as who's deserving uh, of getting in the hall, um, you know, it, it's interesting that Vladimir Guerrero and Trevor Hoffman were the two guys closest, but, um, you know, and on my system, both of them, uh, fall a little bit short of, you know, for Guerrero, the average right fielder, and and for uh, Hoffman, the the average reliever that that's in the Hall of Fame. But then, you know, you've got your obvious guys like you know Clemens and and Bonds, and then Musina and Schilling, um, and then you know the the sort of lesser guys like uh, Larry Walker and, and Manny Ramirez, and you could even make an argument for uh, for, for Gary Sheffield and. Uh, I think I left out Edgar Martinez, and uh, he's definitely deserving as well. Yeah, it's a very interesting thing using Hall of Fame averages or medians, and, and that's something I've done a lot, and it's obviously what Jaws is based on and what your system is based on. And I think there's a lot of merit to it because it mostly works, but there's a lot of problems with doing that as well. And I think some of those problems come from the reason why it mostly works is because the great players counteract the bad players that are in, the undeserving players that Lou Gehrig basically counteracts High Pockets Kelly at first base. And so you take their averages and you get what it should be. But there's a flaw to that system as well. If the Veterans Committee guys that no one would put in now weren't in the Hall of Fame, the averages would be too high and unobtainable for anyone to actually get in. And that's something you talked about with some of the pieces you've done recently about how the standards are going to have to come down for modern players. And that's really going to be shown. And when you look at Hall of Fame averages and medians, eventually we're going to have to realize that it was easier for great players in the 20s and the 30s to separate themselves from the pack than it is now. The middle has never been better, and that's hurting everyone at the top. 
Yeah, and and you look at, at guys like Musina and Schilling. Um, I, I think that that for a while, um, not that it was not that they weren't taking their job seriously or that it was ever easy, but for a while it was just if you had three hundred wins, you're in the Hall of Fame. If you have five hundred homers, you're in the Hall of Fame. If you had three three thousand hits, you're in the Hall of Fame. And you know anybody who who didn't have those, you know, had to be sort of you know, was, was more a, a rare exception. And, uh, you know, the, the steroid era more or less ruined the, the 500 homer, you know, barrier as far as automatic induction and, and the modern bullpen and the five man rotation have sort of ruined the, the 300 game winner bar. And, uh, it, it's made it more difficult for guys like Mucina and Schilling to get in when, you know, back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, it wasn't 300 wins and you're in. You know, there's guys with 250, 220. And, you know, guys like Don Drysdale, Juan Meyerichel aren't guys that anyone thinks shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. Everyone views those guys now as, oh, obviously they should be in the Hall of Fame. Well, Kurt Schilling and Mike Mussina had careers that were just as good as better. But because, uh, you know, they're sort of in the shadows of, you know, a few of the greatest pitchers of all time. Plus, um, they don't have that automatic 300 win spot. Um, they've sort of been overlooked. And, and the same thing happened with, with Burt Blylevin, who it, it took years and an incredible internet campaign to get him on the ballot uh, or get him inducted, um, you know, on his, I think, 13th or 14th try. And, you know, players don't even get 13 or 14 tries anymore. So it's, it's uh, a standard that sort of changed in the last 25 years or so to make it much more difficult for starting pitchers to get in the hall. And, you know, I, I, I'd like to see it reversed a little bit. You know, Schilling went down for, you know, his off-the-field uh, reasons this year, but Mucina jumped up a little bit, but he still has a ways to go uh, before he, he gains induction. And he's a guy that, that really should have been in uh, on the, you know, first few tries yeah i agree and Schilling, it could have been a lot worse he went from 52.3 last year to 45 percent this year i thought at one point he could have dropped even to like 40 percent so him coming into 45 percent is not as bad as i as i thought it could be for him he still has plenty of time to make up ground same thing with musina but the ballot is clogged and i think that's a problem even with three guys going in this year there are 15 holdover candidates plus you have six notable newcomers coming on next year it's going to be a bit of a mess, but I do want to continue to talk about this year for a little bit. Trevor Hoffman came in at 74%. He missed by five votes, which obviously means he's going to get in next year. But it's a bummer because it's not just about him being delayed a year. Him being delayed a year hurts Edgar Martinez, and it hurts Mike Mussina, and it hurts Kurt Schilling because it's going to be harder for those guys in the middle to gain ground when there are so many people getting votes at the top. And Trevor Hoffman missed five votes this year, and I think this is part of the reason why people point out that there are so many flaws to the system. There were eight people who voted for him last year that we know about publicly at this point that did not vote for him this year. And I think we can question the logic of someone abandoning support for someone who was already so close. He, he came in at 67% last year. Traditionally, people don't lose support when they're already that high. But had those eight people just stuck with Hoffman, he'd be in the Hall of Fame this year. That would have created more space for Scott Rowland next year, for Andrew Jones next year, 
for Jim Tomey. So I do think that there's a lot of flaws in the system, and we can look at Trevor Hoffman as a microcosm for that. He fell five votes short, and eight people who voted for him last year did not vote for him this year. Yeah, I think that you know the, the main culprit there is the, the 10 ballot limit. I know that the writers asked for 12, and the Hall of Fame turned them down, and that 12 was sort of a compromise. And I know that uh, Derek Gould has been pushing for a you know sort of an up or down vote on on every player, and you know you've got those eight guys who uh, were not or who were Hoffman supporters last year, and you know they couldn't find room for him this year. Um, you know, I, but you know, you look at how many votes that, that Rodriguez made it by. And, you know, if you, you know, the, the writers have to have to look at the ballot fresh sort of every year, but the 10 ballot limit means that they have to sort of game the system. And if, if they think that, some incoming player is better than than Trevor Hoffman, or or maybe you know they just decided, oh, you know what? I know that I looked at Trevor Hoffman's numbers last year, and he had 600 saves, and that seemed really good. Then I realized that Mike Pusina pitched three times as many innings, and you know maybe you know that sort of turned the turned the tide, and it, it does hurt guys um, who are further down the ballot from not just you know gaining momentum, but, but even staying on the ballot, you know, and you've got, you know, Jorge Posada, who is, you know, not a hall of famer to me, but he, he's a guy who, you know, deserves a look and deserves an argument, but uh, he's off the ballot. And Jim Edmonds, who's, um, you know, one of my favorites, uh, got kicked off the ballot last year. And you're putting writers in a difficult position because, you know, let's say, you know, like, you know, I don't have a vote, but let's say, like me, um, you have ten guys who are ahead of Trevor Hoffman and and Vladimir Guerrero, but you're going into the voting knowing that you know those those two guys need a, a little bit of an extra push next year to make it in. So you decide you want to vote for those guys in order to clear off other guys, even though you don't necessarily believe they're deserving so that then you take your vote away from like Manny Ramirez or Larry Walker or Edgar Martinez or, or whoever to push those guys up just to get them on the ballot, get them off the ballot. And that's, that's a really weird situation to, to put someone in who's voting on, on such a high honor. I completely agree. It really makes no sense. The home does not characterize any plaque as voted in by the writers or voted in by the Veterans Committee. Once you're in, you're in. And I think the writers should be allowed to vote for however many they want. If people think 15 people are deserving, they should be allowed to vote for 15. The Hall's very nervous about that. They think that somehow if they have no limit or if they even raise the limit to 12, that they think 12 people are immediately going to get in. That wouldn't happen, but it may have just helped Trevor Hoffman and Vlad Guerrero get in this year, which I'm not sure the Hall realizes this, but if five people had gone in this year, it would have been the best thing that could have happened for them. I think when some of the early projection systems came out about the Hall this year and they had five going in, People were so excited. People were not saying, oh, this is diminishing the hall at all, even though with Hoffman and Flatter are somewhat borderline candidates. People were psyched that five guys were going in, and the hall seems to be doing everything they can do to prevent large classes from happening at all. Yeah, and you know, they they reduced the number of years that a player can stay on the ballot, and you know, that's sort of uh, 
I mean, a way to get players off earlier, but it's also, I think, sort of designed to get a certain era off the ballot earlier. And I don't know that it's worked out as intended. It certainly got McGuire off the ballot, um, you know, last year as opposed to, to, to giving him another five years. But, um, you know, a, as it stands, you know, the you're, you're, you're going to get another five years of Clemens and, and Bonds on the ballot. And, and I don't know that that's necessarily... Um, it, it doesn't really take away from from the intentions that that the hall is is trying to do if they're trying to take attention away from them um, i mean it, it's it's going to be there regardless of, of what what rules that they set forth but i think that you know if you could if you could have gotten you know Vlad and Hoffman um into the hall this year you you're looking at a a, a potentially better situation for next year and the years to come and I, I think that like when you when you look at I think it's maybe like 2006 to, to 2013 that's an eight-year period where they voted in 10 players um, that's just that's not a lot and that's also not great business for, for the Hall of Fame who needs to generate you know excitement with, with players getting inducted and over the last four years they've inducted 12 which is fantastic but eight of those guys are first ballot Hall of Famers, which means, you know, you're not doing anything for, for the backlog. You're really just getting a bunch of guys in automatically, you know, and, and kept getting a, a few guys aside. But uh, you're still ending up with a whole bunch of qualified candidates and people are having to pick and choose which ones they're voting for instead of being able to just say yes or no, this guy should be in the Hall of Fame. Next year, the 15 holdover candidates will be joined by Chipper Jones, Jim Tomey, Omar Vizquel, Scott Rowland, Andrew Jones, and Johan Santana. My fear next year is the crowded ballot is going to force Andrew Jones to go the way of Jim Edmonds and Kenny Lofton, two guys who I would have voted for. But I see Jones as the same type of player in the eyes of the writer, and I think he's going to get bounced his first year on it. Johan Santana is a very interesting case because we see Trevor Hoffman knocking at the door, likely going to get in. I'm not convinced Johan's going to even clear 10%, but I wonder if we go back at the time, can you imagine if the Twins, if they offered San Diego, hey, we're going to trade you Johan Santana, will you give us Trevor Hoffman in like 2005? The Padres would have been doing backflips to make that deal happen. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that the, the closer argument, um, it's... It's really a difficult one to make in, in baseball terms. I mean, if if you were to say you can have the career of Trevor Hoffman on your team or you can have the career of Kenny Lofton or Jim Edmonds or Andrew Jones or, or whoever these guys are that you know aren't getting very much support, um, if you are a smart general manager or owner, you are going to take that very good position player or, you know, Johan Santana or wh whoever it is over the closer. And <clears throat> I think next year, um, you know, Andrew Jones, I, I think, I think that he'll, he'll get above 5%. I think that, you know, people will remember, you know, him coming up at 19 years old, uh, having, you know, moments in the playoffs and, and being great in, in center field to the point where, you know, he, he, you know, gets on, you know, 20 ballots or whatever it is that, that he needs to, um, Johan Santana, I, I, I don't, I don't see that 
um, happening for him. And, and Scott Rowland, I think the there there's the same situation. Um, you know, I think Chipper Jones is obviously going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer and not have any problems. Um, it was interesting to see on the the telecast that Bob Costas mentioned Jim Tomey as as closer to to a certainty. I thought that was interesting too. Yeah, he's he's sort of you know viewed as a clean guy and and that you know helps in, in the eyes of many but um and obviously has the higher home run totals but you know to me he's not a, as good as jeff bagwell who just took you know however many years to, to for him to get in but it, you know if jim tomey is sort of a, a more of an automatic guy then you've got you know chipper jones and and jim tomey essentially taking the votes of bagwell and, and reigns and then you know you you have people who are maybe you know switching around among the candidates who they've already voted for but it doesn't leave a lot of room for guys like Roland or Andrew Jones and and you know I I don't believe that you know he's anywhere near uh the Hall of Fame but there's going to be a lot of people who who might support Omar Vizquel just because he was very good at defense for a long time yeah, I agree. I think there's going to be a high correlation between Omar Vizquel voters and Lee Smith voters. I think Vizquel is going to come in with at least a third of the vote. So if we look at it like Chipper Jones takes Bagwell's spot and Jim Tomey takes Reigns' spot and Vizquel takes Lee Smith's spot, okay, well, that still leaves Andrew Jones in a tough situation and Johan Santana in a tough situation and really unfortunate Scott Rowland, who... I do think is going to get enough to stay on the ballot. I think he's going to come somewhere in between Jeff Kent and Larry Walker, but that puts him in a really tough position to climb forward in the future for a guy that retired as one of the top 10 third basemen ever to play the game. Yeah, and it also limits the gains that Edgar Martinez can make. He's at, you know, 50, you know, 8% or whatever, which, you know, is a good spot, but you know, he still needs that extra 17% and he's only got two more years to do it. Now, I mean, you know, we, we saw, you know, Clemens and Bonds over the last two years gain, you know, around 10% each year. But I don't think we can expect those gains to to continue given the the amount of players that, that keep coming on the ballot. Um, you know, it's next year is, is really a, a strong year for candidates. But the years after that uh, are a little bit slower. So what you hope to happen is that you get things cleared off pretty quickly now. But it, it's hard to see that happening with, with so many um, good players on the ballot taking votes away from each other, unfortunately. Yeah, and what's unfortunate about next year, too, not only are those six notable newcomers coming on the ballot, but it's not anyone's last year either. So there's going to be more holdover candidates. Edgar Martinez has two more years left and Fred McGriff has two more years left. So not even you're not even going to get a release of the clog just by people falling off. You're still going to have um, I know next year you have the six and the year after that in 2019. I think that's Rivera and Halliday and Rivera will get in right away. Obviously, I think Halliday is going to be very close as well. But once Halliday goes in, I do think that will help Musina and Schilling in the long term. Yeah, I think so. Uh, it. It'll be interesting to see exactly how Halliday is viewed. Um, you know, obviously the the Cy Young, you know, award works very much in his favor, where it doesn't work with with Musina and and Schilling. And uh, you know, like you said, you know, if there's only two more guys coming in, and you know, potentially four guys coming off, that's that's going to help a little bit. But if 
there are guys next year who don't get 5%, you know, that's, that's their shot. They don't get to see, you know, any more votes for another 10 or 12 years. And it'd be unfortunate for some of those guys not to get fair shake. And that's, that's another situation where, where the voters are going to be, you know, very, very hard pressed to, to figure out what to do. You know, do you give a vote to Andrew Jones or, Scott Rowland in order to keep him on the ballot, or do you give it to, you know, Mike Messina, Kurt Schilling, who you know isn't necessarily going to get in that year. And and it's, you know, I, I we keep coming back to this point. It's a, it just it it doesn't make sense that you would have to limit yourself uh if you believe that these guys are worthy for the Hall of Fame. I, I think that the, the, the Hall of Fame needs to, to place a little bit more faith in the writers that, that they know what they're doing. It's not like these guys are going to keep voting for 10 players um, and fill their ballots you know, into eternity. It just so happens that right now they're, they're trying to vote for as many players as possible and can't. And, and you know, five, eight years, it, I, I don't think that there will be 10 worthy Hall of Fame candidates. It just so happens that there are right now. Let's move on to some of your recent pieces at Fangraphs while we have a few minutes left. You you did a couple pieces recently about what active players might be Hall of Famers using your Hall rating system. You identified four players that are basically locks already in Pujols, Beltre, Cabrera, and Ichiro. You had another group that I thought was interesting. The next two are people who are already statistically deserving that you think need more more counting numbers, basically, to enhance their support. And those two were Carlos Beltran and Chase Utley. And I agree with that. I think that those guys, that the short answer with those guys is they don't pass the sniff test. They're going to need to add to their totals to get there. The interesting group after that as well was the guys who are kind of in the middle, almost there. And in that group, you had Evan Longoria, Robinson Cano, Joey Votto, Dustin Pedroia, Andrew McCutcheon, Josh Donaldson, Buster Posey, and Yadier Molina. Of the players in that group, who do you think is the most likely to go in? You know, I, I think that that Buster Posey is probably most likely um, uh, of that group. I think that, you know, when you look at the the catcher position over the last, you know, 20 years or so, you, you've got Ivan Rodriguez and Mike Piazza of sort of the, the last little generation. And, and, and after that... Um, Buster Posey, you know, statistically is going to have a, a pretty incredible career, even if in a few years he, he moves off catcher. Um, but the other guys, it, it, it just it depends on on how they they finish their career. Um, you know, Evan Longoria is has got a good shot, but the, the standard at third base, you know, has been been pretty difficult. And, and Joey Votto is a guy who. You know, he's he's already a lightning rod for, you know, on base percentage and taking walks versus average and RBIs, et cetera, et cetera. But um, he's still playing at a high level. If he continues to do that for several more years, then, then he's going to have sort of, um, you know, not necessarily as good as as Bagwell, but it'll be more of a Bagwell type argument than your traditional 500 homer guys. Yeah, I think Robinson Cano has a really good chance. He's interesting. He's actually a guy that has a big difference on his career war totals between the three sites. I think Baseball Reference already has him as a 60-win player. He's not quite as high on fan graphs or on baseball perspectives because they don't value his defense as much. But I think Cano has a realistic chance at 
3,000 hits. And I think if he gets that, and I think people know him as the best hitting second baseman of his era, I think he has a really good chance as well. Votto's going to force himself there. He's not going to have the home run total or the RBI total that some voters may want. And frankly, he needs to get to 2,000 hits to get in too. But he has a career OPS plus of 157. And I think if people see him as a top 25 hitter of all time, he's going to be very difficult to keep out as well. I think one of the things that's interesting about the Hall of Fame is the so much of getting in has to do with the narrative surrounding your career. It's just that uh, Yadier Molina, for example, really is statistically, uh, he falls short and it looks like he will fall short because of his age and where he's at in his career right now. But every time he comes up to the plate, even in opposing parks, people are saying future Hall of Famer Yadier Molina. And I do think that makes an imprint on people. And that's something you don't hear with Chase Utley, even though Utley has better numbers for his position. Yeah, and I think that one thing that, that we see a lot is, you know, the, the younger a player comes up, it, it helps a lot. I mean, Chase Utley uh, came up a little bit later in his career. The same was true for, for Jim Edmonds, but uh, Yadier Molina was, you know, he started his career in, in 2004, and uh, he's still only, you know, 34 years old, you know, uh, 13 years later. So you you sort of get more time to, to, to build up um, your your case and as far as being well known and that sort of thing and and Molina will will provide a, a very interesting test case because you know he's not going to necessarily have the, the same sort of uh, statistical um, merits that we're used to seeing from uh, from Hall of Fame catchers but if he keeps playing for a long time and you know if he you know say passes Carlton Fisk for second place for for most games caught I think that that's the sort of narrative that, that that really helps and we we see sort of the narrative during the career that helps and and then the it it's really been beneficial for guys to hold on or off on retiring uh even if they're past their prime to get you know 20 30 40 more home runs you know a couple hundred more hits and and RBIs and you know, I think that's something that that really helped Jim Rice. I think it really helped Andre Dawson. Uh, you know, they they weren't necessarily as good, uh, but but they they kept on playing and they got those counting numbers higher. And you know, personally, I I don't think that that should should matter as much, but it it definitely has mattered in terms of of gaining election. And and that's something that's why I wrote about you know Utley especially. Uh, it'd be very useful for him to hang around for a few more years just so his numbers look a little bit shinier um, in, in the eyes of voters. Yeah, and Ali has to get to 2,000 hits too. I don't think anyone's gotten into the Hall of Fame with fewer than 2,000 hits that started their career in the integration era, at least players that weren't kept out because of their color of their skin. Um, moving on to the pitchers, you did a, you had a really interesting piece there on the active pitchers as well. The short is that active pitchers are going to have a hard time getting in or at least meeting the standards. Tell me why and what you saw there. Well, I, I think that that right now you sort of have the the Kershaw category, and you know he's already been so great that that it's it's it it'll be impossible to to keep him out of the hall. Um, he's sort of got that that sort of almost Pedro Martinez uh, like career, and and Pedro was able to get in despite not having the same length of of career and, and number of wins as other guys had, and and Kershaw may well you know, 
get get a ton more wins. But uh, he's he's fished at such a high level that that it, it should be impossible to keep him out. But after that, um, if you're looking for guys who are going to reach a, a Mike Messina type level, it's it's going to be nearly impossible for anybody. Um, you know, there, there's guys like. Uh, Justin Verlander, who I, I think that the Cy Young Award does matter a lot for, for voters, and that'll certainly help him, especially if he continues his strong play from last year. If you'd you know looked at things a year ago, as far as where Verlander was, um, you would have said you know, he probably doesn't have a shot anymore. And and you're saying that maybe right now about about Felix Hernandez because you know he doesn't look like he he's still the same player anymore. If if he has a rebound, he could sort of push himself back up into that contention but you know Max Scherzer's already 32 um and the, these guys just aren't going to have the the type of numbers that that in the past 25 years at least uh have traditionally let uh players into the hall of fame uh, that doesn't mean that they're not going to be worthy of the hall of fame um it just means that that the voters are going to have to look at you know 50 60-year standards instead of just what they've been doing for the past 25. Because uh, if if Musina and Schilling can't get in, um, it's 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 hard for anybody to. Yeah, and I do think that that there is the generation of pitchers in between Clemens, Johnson, Maddox, and Pedro, and now Kershaw and Verlander. The generation in between the three that really headlined that generation were Halliday, Sabathia, and Johan Santana. And I think that. All three, well, I think Halliday is going to go in. I, I think Sabathia and Santana are going to have a hard time. Santana might fall off right away. Sabathia is still active. People forget how great he was early in his career. The last impression does leave a, a lasting one. So I think Sabathia is going to have a hard time as well. And it comes to a point where CC Sabathia is not going to get in. And if Verlander is going to have a hard time, if Felix Hernandez is going to have a hard time, what are we doing? Like it, at some point, we need to just put in the best pitchers of their era and compare them to who they pitched against. And I think that even if their career counting numbers or their hall rating numbers based on averages aren't nearly as high as of some of the other people already in the Hall of Fame, we do have to make sure that every generation has starting pitchers represented in the Hall. Yeah, and fortunately, you know, for, for those guys that, that are active right now, you know, if they pitch for five more years, that, that means they're not going to be on the ballot for you know, another 10. And, and by then I, I think that we will see some changes, you know, hopefully Schilling and, and Musina uh, are in by then. And, uh, people might, might t- have a little bit different, uh, perspective on it. And, you know, uh, Halliday is sort of a, a good test case for that to see if, if things are going to, uh, uh lighten up a, a little bit in terms of, of getting those best pitchers in there. You've been listening to Craig Edwards. You can find his work on Fangraphs and give him a follow on Twitter at Craig J. Edwards. Craig, thanks for the extended time and thanks for joining the podcast today. No problem. It was a pleasure.